Welcome back to the Host by Tori show. Today we have on one of my good friends, Jordan Cook Robbins. Jordan, her husband Dylan, and friend Daniel started a company called Lifetime Vintage in 2019 before selling it earlier this year. Lifetime Vintage's mission was to make wine approachable for everyone, and they partnered with sommeliers and beverage professionals across the U.S. to help both consumers and companies with their wine needs. They worked with corporate clients to plan events virtually and in person, send meaningful gifts to clients and colleagues, and curate great wine selections for happy hours. For consumers, their sommelier team provided a suite of wine curation services, such as helping to plan dinner parties, stocking up wine fridges, and sourcing fine wines for growing collections. So safe to say, she knows a little bit about wine. Earlier this year, they sold their company to Convive Wines, a wine retail and e-commerce company out of New York City. So I wanted to have Jordan on to talk about everything related to wine and alcohol. We talked about why wine is so complex compared to other alcohols and how the consumer gravitates towards specific types. Jordan's real and honest views on non-alcoholic wines and her hope for better advancement over time. What natural wine really means and what to look for to make sure you're getting higher quality grapes in production. And how Jordan has found the freedom to drink less on certain occasions and also when she feels more pressure. As always, if you are a listener of the show, I would be so grateful if you rated and or reviewed the show on Apple or Spotify. But with that, let's welcome Jordan to the podcast. Jordan, thank you for coming on the podcast, coming off of a three-week honeymoon bender, and you're here, and so I appreciate you. Um, of course. I want to talk. I want to talk about Lifetime Vintage, which is a company that you and your husband and friends started a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic. Recently, sold it, and effectively, it's like a wine-focused brand and company. So, why don't you tell? the audience here a little bit about what Lifetime Vintage is and what you were solving for. Sure. So Lifetime Vintage, in a nutshell, was all about the sommelier. And we kind of noticed this problem in the wine industry. And I think it exists, you know, across beverages, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic. But wine is really confusing and it's really hard to learn about. And there's just so many different types of wines that you could have between different grape varietals, different regions, different vintage variation. And it just makes it really hard for the consumer to understand. And so we felt like the way to actually break down that barrier was through sommeliers or beverage professionals who could provide their own curated wines directly for you. And we ended up kind of using these sommeliers as our direct sales force so they could build their own client base of both consumers and corporate clients. And those SOMs would basically recommend wines for you based on your preferences, your price point. They could put together little gift bundles for companies or for consumers. And they essentially did kind of the entire curation process for you. And then the last thing that they did was they could lead these awesome wine events, either virtually or in person. And the best thing about that was their presence and their ability to kind of talk about wines and debunk a lot of myths really helped people feel like wine was more approachable and kind of gave them, gave people the basics to be able to talk about wine and know what they like and don't like in a wine bottle. So that's what we did in a nutshell. What so wine is so personal personal for people. Um and it's to your point, it's really confusing. There's a lot going on. There's a lot that people don't know. 
uh, there's a lot of marketing in the wine industry, but like, why do you think wine compared to not or compared to alcoholic like spirits is such a thing around uh, what people like and don't like and how they choose it? Like, there are so many different types of spirits, right? It's like the amount of like different brands around tequila or vodka and sure like people have like the one that they gravitate to but for wine like why is it so confusing and cumbersome and necessary to like talk to someone about the different grapes and varietals and where it's from and the aging like why is wine so complex I think one is the jargon and the language used in describing wines. I think because wines originated primarily in Europe, there is a language barrier for American consumers. There is also just a ton of very nuanced languaging around terroir and tannins and like acidity and uh, the lees. And there's just so many confusing terms that hardly anyone understands. And so it naturally creates this barrier between those who know a lot, Psalms, and those who don't know a lot. And our goal was kind of to meld those two groups together and allow people who really have this specialized knowledge to be able to showcase that way more broadly than in their traditional kind of restaurant or wine bar environment. So that's kind of part of the reason why I think wine is so confusing. I think the other piece is how many grape varietals there are. There are thousands of grape varietals out there. And I, you know, I don't even know even close to all of them, um, as well as vintage variation, you know, weather and uh, climate are so dependent on, uh, or wine is so dependent on the environment and on the climate. And so that changes year over year. And so not only do you need to know what types of wine you like from what regions, but then you also need to understand how one vintage compares to the other in terms of climate and how it affects taste. So there's just so many variables involved. Yeah. And wine, I've learned in this like NA world that I've been in like the past year and a half, like wine is the thing that people want the most and find the hardest comparison or hardest um, like substitution for in the NA space because the NA beers are pretty good. The NA spirits, you know, you're mixing in with other things like lime and maybe some juices and um, shaking that up. And so it can kind of like resemble what a uh, alcohol would be in that like mixed drink, right? But wine is the thing that I hear most from people that they're really frustrated that they can't find a really good substitution. And I would say even for me too, personally, like if I'm going to lean into having an alcoholic beverage, it usually is wine because I do really enjoy it. I do really like it. Um, but I I want to hear more on your views in NA on NA wine, um, what you saw or what you've seen because you're still kind of in the industry, right? Um, what you think works well, what you don't think works well. I personally have a couple of non-alcoholic brands that I do love, and I think that they do a really good job. And they're like sourcing the grapes, and they're working with the vineyards, and they're trying to keep that like complexity and sophistication. But like. Truly, what do you think about non-alcoholic wines in general and like where it's going? Yeah, so I definitely 
hear everyone who struggles with finding a really good substitution because I do think the non-alcoholic wine space in comparison to the rest of the NA space broadly is at its nascent stages. And I don't think anyone's really found the perfect substitution. Um, And just for context, when we did events with Lifetime Vintage, we always wanted to make sure that if folks were choosing not to drink, that we had a non-alcoholic option for them. And we actually gave mocktails to those people and chose not. What did you, what mocktails? So we wouldn't do things like Gia. We actually had syrups and then paired them with sodas so that people could kind of mix and match and make them um, themselves. So it wasn't as much kind of, we, we didn't lean as much into the, the non-alcoholic spirits themselves, but we actually chose to go that route rather than serve people non-alcoholic wine because we felt like non-alcoholic wine just really isn't there. And to put them side by side is just really hard. Um, and I think there's a few reasons for that. There's one Alcohol and spirits is so strong. It was such a strong flavor. And I, yeah. even people who love spirit, like who love drinking alcohol, hard alcohol, I don't think people naturally love the taste of like vodka or tequila, maybe in tiny doses. Yeah. Um, whereas wine, I think the alcoholic component actually adds so much to the complexity of a wine. Um, and what I've learned is that de-alcoholizing wine or taking the alcohol out actually unfortunately removes a lot of the aromas, the kind of herbaceousness or vegetal components that a wine has. And then also most importantly, it actually takes out some of the tannins or grippiness in red wines and a lot of the texture and body of wines. And so alcohol actually adds so much more to wine, I think, than other types of alcohol because it adds all of those really complex notes. And unfortunately, de-alcoholizing wine, at least to date, actually removes a lot of that complexity that everyone looks for. So that's why I feel like the non-alcoholic wine space really hasn't gotten there yet. It's also why I think a lot of folks say that they've found way more sparkling and white non-alcoholic wines Mm -hmm. that they gravitate towards versus reds is because whites don't have tannins. They don't have as much variation in body. And so you don't need as much of those complexities. Um, And so that's just a little bit about where I think the NA wine space is. And I'm hoping that there's some sort of technological advancement that helps actually de-alcoholize better. Um, And that's kind of the last thing I want to touch on is I feel like in wine, there's this movement towards natural wine and really kind of leaning into the terroir, the um, earth, the climate, the grapes, and really trying to be as unmanipulative as possible and letting the grapes really do the talking in a wine. With dealcoholized wine, you have to put it through the dealcoholization de-alco- process. And that's really kind of technological and manipulative. And so I do think in a lot of ways that is very counter to what a like the alcoholic wine movement is really yeah. gravitating towards, which is leaning more into the earth and the environment, if that yeah. makes sense. No, I think that makes sense. The to your point on the the white and 
bubbly, non-alcoholic wines and people gravitating towards those. Like I actually was with one of the founders last week from Studio Null, which is like one of my favorite um, non-alcoholic brands. And I was telling her, I was like, I I think that those are are the best because they they get as close as possible in my view because red wines are so much more complex and I'm not much as much of an expert as you are, but I think it's really hard to replicate red wine because of how sophisticated it is without having the alcohol. And but the problem I see is that people are craving the non-alcoholic red the most um, because that's the one that most say are they feel the worst on afterwards is like red wine. And I I feel that way too. It's like I love the taste of red wine. It does not make me feel good the next day compared to like any other wine out there. And I know you like know that more than anyone, right? Um, but in terms of how we think about like natural wine fitting into the equation, because I think for the most part, there's obviously a sober camp and then there's a camp that want to not drink as much because of how it makes them feel. And that's most likely a hangover, right? The next day they don't feel good, sluggish, headache, like all of that. For natural wine, is there a situation, and I, I don't fully understand it, but like, is it that they're not adding as much to it that causes some of these headaches? Is that just like marketing? Because I don't know truly what to believe because effectively, like I would be okay drinking more natural wine if it truly wasn't going to make me feel as bad the next day and definitely in moderation too, right? Like I, I still drink wine from time to time, but is there a way that the wine industry can evolve that the negative side effects that most people attribute wine to we can get better at? I think so. So I think, but I do think that natural wine, there's been a lot of marketing around. Yeah. Like what, wine and it's, what does it mean? <laughs> I mean, so there are certain designations that will make a wine organic and or biodynamic and biodynamic. Really, you're following kind of lunar calendars. Again, you're not trying to add unnatural things to wine. So no preservatives, no... Sometimes they use kind of really natural yeasts instead of just adding in a ton of other yeast into the fermentation process. So there is kind of a whole camp that's really is, that really is practicing organic and biodynamic winemaking. Now, I think there's a lot of people who are doing it, but they're doing it to put that on a label because yeah. they know it's a huge movement. And I actually... You know, maybe this doesn't get to your hangover question, but I find that there's a lot of variation in actually the winemaking itself and the grape quality with natural wines. And so I am very kind of particular in what types of natural wines I drink because I think that while they're really hot right now, I don't necessarily think that all those producers are making fantastic wine with really high quality grapes from high quality regions. Um, to your hangover question, it's a really hard one because I have tried to figure out what makes me feel hungover the next day versus what doesn't. And I certainly think that preservatives contribute a lot. And so wines generally from Europe add in fewer preservatives. And so I generally find that if I'm having wines from France, from Italy, 
from other regions in Europe, I'm generally feeling better. But that's not a hard and fast rule by any stretch. And so I'm still trying to discover which wines I can have quite a few glasses of and I feel totally fine the next day and which wines I have one glass of and I have, you know, a splitting headache. So I don't know that I have the secret sauce, unfortunately. (laughs) It's a, a quick plug for old world wine there. Maybe Dylan, was, told you yeah. to, Dylan told you to do that. <laughs> Just generally, how do you how do you think about potentially not drinking as less? And not that you necessarily want to drink less, but if there was ever a world where you didn't want to maybe lean in as much, like how do you feel as though you'd approach that? Given that you live in a world where drinking is a lot of your hobbies and part of your job. Yeah, and. You know, I think we all live in this world where there's so much pressure around drinking and it's not only encouraged, but it's kind of expected in social environments. And I think that's really hard for everyone. And for me, it was especially hard once I kind of identified, you know, self-identified as a sommelier and took the W set classes to be a sommelier and, you know, really prided myself in knowing a lot about wine, but to continue growing in your wine knowledge you need to drink, unfortunately, yeah. because you need to kind of really, it's a really tactile, um, tactile experience and you need to be able to be tasting all the time. And now, so a lot of songs that I know will actually spit when they drink. Yeah. So that I think is a way to get the sensation with that and like learn without necessarily consuming alcohol. Um, I've always found that to be really hard because in my mind, I fell in love with wine for the taste. And so uh, it always felt a little bit counter to what I first loved about wine. But as I kind of get got into the wine business more and more, I would sometimes have to jump in and lead tastings. And so I was, you know, drinking every night of the week, at least on some level. And that got to be kind of really tiring. And so it was really interesting because I think I've actually found a freedom in being able to take a night off and just say, hey, I work in wine. I'm just not going to drink tonight or I'm going to have a mocktail because it's something different. And um, so for me, it actually had kind of the opposite effect where... Mm because I was doing it so much for my job, I think I felt fully comfortable saying that I wasn't drinking on any given night. Um, I think the yeah. the one situation where I always feel pressure is when people want to drink wine with me. And then mm. I feel like I can't say no because people want to learn and experience a great bottle. And we're known for, you know, being able to drink drink wine with friends. And so that's, I think, the one situation that I get in where even if I'm not feeling like I want to drink, I sometimes feel a little bit of pressure. Um, And, you know, now that I've moved on a little bit from the wine business, it's been amazing because I really do try to take, I mean, you know, full transparency, I definitely drink a few days a week, but I try to keep it to weekends and nights when I don't have a ton of responsibility the next day. And um, so I really try to kind of stay alcohol free, you know, Sunday through Thursday. Um, And then even on weekends, I think what's great about wine for me is that it's not necessarily about the volume of wine that I'm drinking. It's about the quality and actually like having this amazing sensory experience around it. Um, And 
So, you know, I've actually definitely lowered kind of my volume intake and really just tried to focus on getting wine that I really want to learn about and using it more kind of as an educational experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like you're not drinking to get drunk. You're drinking to have this experience and you want to drink good quality wine. And it's an it's like educational for you guys. And I think the like expert piece of it is like what I resonate with the most in terms of like I took W set to remember, did we both take that test? Yeah, we took oh, it together. At, like the holiday inn in San Francisco downtown. Oh my God. Yeah. Like yeah. we, we literally both took that test together. And I think that what I've learned a lot about myself is like, I like being an expert on things and I, I used to be so much of that expert in New York related to like restaurants, you know, like mm-hmm. having or knowing how to get into all the different places. And then I wanted to be an expert in wine. Like I like being knowledgeable on it. So I did the W set. Um, and then now I've transferred into, you know, being an expert in like non-alcoholic drinks. And I like really enjoy that. But sometimes I think like, is it about that specific thing or is it just the concept of like me wanting to be an expert? And it, I do kind of like rethink the wine thing sometimes because it was something that I really loved being able to talk about, like definitely not to the extent that you and Dylan are able to talk about wine, but because it feels a little taboo or like not as accessible when you know a- about it, it's easy to educate people like pretty easily just because having a bare bones knowledge of of wine is way more than other people do, um, which I think is like really interesting. And and the point you brought up at the beginning too around wine having all of these different terms that are really confusing and the accessibility piece of it I thought was interesting because wine doesn't feel approachable really for a, a lot of people. And I guess kind of more the term approachable versus like accessible, but I find that it it feels really daunting and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing talking with so many different people around just the concept of the different terms and how much there is to learn. And that's also what I'm trying to do with the non-alcoholic space because I think some people can look at it and and be like, oh my God, there are so many different brands. They're pretty expensive. I don't know what I want to buy. And because of that, it doesn't feel as like approachable. It's also just like not as accessible yet. And so kind of bringing more awareness um, to that is is what I'm focused on. Yeah. And I love that personally. And what I think is really cool about the non-alcoholic space is that there are types of non-alcoholic beverages like de-alcoholized wine, which are taking the product of wine and actually just removing the alcohol. But then most, I would say, non-alcoholic spirits. And then also there is some non-alcoholic wine that is actually just creating a proxy for whatever the spirit or the wine that they're trying to make is. So they're using other ingredients that aren't the core product to emulate the taste. And I think that to me is the coolest part about the non-alcoholic space is that it's like, okay, what ingredients can make a non-alcoholic wine taste like wine, but it doesn't actually come from grapes. And that could be tea because there's tannins in tea or kombucha because there's that acidity. And I think that that exists across the entire non-alcoholic space, especially in the spirit space, actually. And so there's actually, there's just a whole world that you can go down with in terms of your knowledge about the non-alcoholic 
space, both from a brand perspective, but then also from an ingredient perspective that I think is actually very similar to learning about wine and really exciting. Yeah. So I have a question on distribution and alcoholic stores, just because I know you went through so much of this when building Mm -hmm. Lifetime Vintage. In terms of different cities have requirements for a alcohol shop or a wine shop and what can be sold in there and like what can't or what can be in a grocery store and what can't there are like so many rules restrictions all the things um when talking with any of these shops was there did you ever learn from them their appetite for non-alcoholic brands did you see them in any of the stores and then i would love to hear your view on non-elk at like a grocery store a bottle shop that is completely non-elk or at a just like normal bottle shop because I was talking with with someone about this the other day around like a non-elk bottle shop on its own it needs to have like obviously like so many brands and aesthetic but like for people to go there that's another stop for Mm -hmm. them right on their like shopping or grocery run Um, but there's they have the ability to like see so many different brands Versus if the, it was just at like a regular bottle shop, they could make that one stop. But, you know, there might not be as many brands. They might not even notice it. It might not be highlighted in the store. And then grocery store, like merchandising is so different everywhere. And like the beers are different from like the NA beers are in different places than the NA spirits and the NA wine. So like, I don't know, just generally, do you like, what are your thoughts on any of that? Yeah. So I would say that my experience working with retailers and just for context, for those who don't know, my company partnered with retail wine retail shops across the country. And so Mm -hmm. we generally worked with really small boutique wine shops. Um, And my experience working with those partners is that there were very few, if any, non-alcoholic options, especially back when we started in 2019. I mean, I think our one of our retail partners had Martinelli's, which is just impossible oh to think about. And so that was where <laughs> we actually had to we we brought in uh, the non-alcoholic mixers and things for them to pack and ship in boxes. And we actually had to take the initiative and do that because there were literally no options at any of the retailers we partnered with. So I think your point is so valid. People shouldn't have to make another stop. And also there's a huge interest and growing opportunity in the non-alcoholic space. And there's a lot of people really looking to explore. And so I don't think that wine shops are there yet in carrying a lot of NA products, but they should be. Um, And they don't even need to carry non-alcoholic wine. They can carry other types of non-alcoholic beverages. Um, And so that I think is an opportunity, but I haven't seen it yet. I agree that grocery stores should definitely stock, but it's hard. The one thing I do like about a non-alcoholic specific shop is that I love going to a wine store because I know that they're experts in Mm. wine Mm. and that the people that I'm going in to interface with know that list really well and they can help me find something that I'm really excited about. And I know that the quality of the wine is really good because you have people like really picking it out who know their stuff. And that's what I do like about the non-alcoholic bottle shop concept is that 
hopefully the folks working there know a ton about all of the different brands that they carry. They can help you find something that you like, especially if you're just starting to explore the space and you know you like a certain spirit or a certain type of beer and they can help you find an alternative that's going to be amazing. And so that is something that I do like about a non-alcoholic specific yeah. shop is that they they have the domain expertise to really help you and their products are going to be great and vetted. Yeah, I feel like there's the trade-off between non-alcoholic bottle shop, which is like few and far between, meaning that there's a couple in um, New York, obviously. There's yep. none in Austin. Mm-hmm. And so the questions that I get are, how do, like, this is not accessible for me. Like, I'm going to have to buy, I'm going to have to buy this online. Like, I can't just pick this up to have tonight. And that feels, that feels like hard, right? It's like you can't get it very easily. And so it's the trade-off between, okay, there's not a non-alcoholic bottle shop here where you would get all that expertise, but if you have some things in like a Whole Foods or Total Wine, you're not, it's not going to be as easy to find. You're not going to be able to like try it. You're not going to know how good it is potentially, but there are like options there. I think to your point on like experts knowing it and um, being able to like talk to them about like what you're looking for is a good one. And I definitely resonate with that. Like the event that I did at Busan in November that you guys came to and like we were pouring stuff and people were tasting it. Like I think that's so important for this category that at these shops, you don't just like start franchising and having people working it just to work a, a nine to five. You have people there who like really know the category and can talk with people and are pouring things because that's how you're ultimately going to like educate the consumer. And I was talking to someone last week, Brianda from the new bar in Venice, and we were talking about how important it is for um, someone's first time trying a non-alcoholic wine or a non-alcoholic spirit or aperitif. You want that to be a good experience for their first time in the NA category exactly. or else they could they could write it off. Right. And that's how I feel about NA wine. Like people have free or fray wine, whatever um, brand. Yeah. I can't I don't even know the name of it, but like it's so bad. It's so sugary. It tastes like juice. And then people completely write off NA wine, but there are actually other good options that I do really like. Like, sure, you're not going to get all the way there, but there are other good options. And so that's why I think it's so important to your like what you were saying on educating and having experts help in this space because it's completely unknown. It's like no yeah. one no one knows anything about it, you know? Exactly. And I think going back to, you know, why you founded Host by Tori is, you know, alcohol generally is an experience and you're, you're trying new things with and pairing with food. And I think the non-alcoholic space is also an amazing experience and it should be this experiential thing. And so adding a tasting component to a shop elevates that experience and allows people to learn in a better way, but also just makes it really fun and approachable and inviting. And that's kind of, and I think that the NA space really needs that, um, you know, as it doesn't compete, but fits in with the broader beverage space. Totally. Jordan, any any last remarks? Anything else you want to touch on? Nothing much except I think, you know, just circling back to non-alcoholic wine one last time, I think 
we're not all the way there, I don't think anyone's going to find an alternative to alcoholic wine that's going to suit their needs perfectly. But I do think there are good options out there. And as long as you go in thinking that you're not getting the exact same product, it's going to be amazing. And the other thing that I would encourage people to do is to find your own proxies for wine. So whether that's making your own hibiscus tea that has natural tannins that will emulate a red wine, and then maybe adding a splash of non-alcoholic wine to make sangria. Like There's, I think, so many options in the non-alcoholic wine space that honestly, I haven't explored enough of yet. um, And that I, I'm excited to do. I think that's kind of, that's what I'm most excited for in the non-alcoholic wine space, particularly. Yeah. And for you, right, the complexity and the taste of wine is something you really enjoy. Mm -hmm. But for other people, it's just the idea of holding a glass of something. Yeah. And, and so how do you mimic, how do you uh, create a sophistication, a taste that somewhat resembles what you would get from a true wine. And there are a couple. So to your point, there's like two camps. There's one where people are de-alcoholizing the wine and they're kind of stripping that out and you're left with the wine without alcohol. And then there's other brands who are making a wine that is not was not originally wine. Like it's made from teas and other like not juices, but it really is more of like the tea aspect of what you're talking about. And it gives it that little zing, right? It gives it that little something. And some do like adaptogens or or other things like that. Um, And it does feel super sophisticated, but it's not a wine. It just like, it looks like it, 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 you know, kind of tastes like it. And it gives you that sort of feeling. And so I do think that space is really interesting too, because it is kind of its own just like separate category. Exactly. And it's 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 really elevated because you're actually kind of trying to decompartmentalize what makes a wine great and all the aspects that make a wine great from body to tannin to acidity to its overall kind of aromas and flavors. And you're you're really parsing that out and then trying to find alternatives. And so to me, that's almost more exciting in yeah. some ways than de-alcoholized wine is because you're really trying to think about flavor and texture and body in a way um, and kind of mimic that. So anyways, right. that's just what I wanted to leave everyone with is that I think there's so much cool experimenting that's being done in the non-alcoholic space and in the non-alcoholic wine space specifically. And it's been cool to kind of see even in the last year or two, how many different brands have kind of come up and all the different approaches. What inning do you think we're in of the NA space? I think we're probably in the third inning. I don't know if that's later than what you expected. I think, so I think we've hit this like huge boom. I think there's probably going to be some fallout from that. I think that there's a plethora of brands now that like may or may not make it. And there's probably going to be some reshuffling, but I think in terms of non-alcoholic beverage consumption and, it's normalization. I think we're very early. Yeah, I do too. I think it's like until I until I see an actually like well crafted drink and an NA beer on every single menu. Yeah, like 
at least like one option and that's still like so early like that we're not even close to it, it being there you know so i feel like this is where you know well quote wellness was like eight years ago when people first started making overnight oats like that that's yep. where that's like where we are now meaning that like there's a huge interest in it there's a huge influx of brands but there are going to be ones who are winners and ones that are losers and i think like understanding the target audience understanding the branding understanding like where you play in the category mm. is going to really matter and it's just broadening like awareness and accessibility um and i i just think there's more to go on like educating vendors and restaurants and like retailers on it too I agree. I think that's a huge opportunity and maybe something that host by Tori can tackle. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Like I'm trying, but um as as you and and Dylan, your husband know around like product development, it's so hard, right? There's so many brands. It's like I don't want to, I don't need to make an, a beverage, but like how do I create more of a platform to like broaden awareness around the topic generally, but I don't know. Or I don't know. even I, be the sommelier that helps restaurants yeah. with their non-alcoholic list, you know? Like, Should I do consulting? Yeah, you could. Like, they probably don't have a lot of restaurants that don't have sophisticated NA beverages clearly just don't have somebody on their staff who knows anything, right, about right. the space. And so you could be the consultant and... I think the pitch is similar to just having alcohol, alcoholic beverages on at your restaurant is that margins are insanely high. There is a, a huge group of people who don't want to drink all the time and who are going to buy non-alcoholic beverages. And so instead of just selling them a Coke or a water, you can sell them you know, a, a high price non-alcoholic beverage where they can make margins and you're inclus in you're increasing your inclusivity for people and making totally. people really want to come to your restaurant. So I don't know. Maybe it's a new a new virtual right. for you. <laughs> <laughs> a new endeavor. I love it. Um yeah. no I completely agree with that. Well Jordan, thank you for coming on. Um you're the bomb. Thanks I, for uh, having me. This was so fun. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. As you know, I am not a specialist and I am not trained to give advice whatsoever. These are just my own personal thoughts and conversations. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate or review the show. If you can, it helps so, so much. And feel free to find me on social channels, Host by Tori, and my website, www.hostbytori.com. See ya!